Hello, everyone. Welcome to I Can't Believe That Happened. We're going to go on a little bit of a side trip into the world of magicians, the history of famous magicians. I'm writing a book right now where I need to do the research on this. So I thought I would just slide it over and let you guys learn all the really cool stuff I'm learning right now. So I'm going to take you to Jean-Eugene Robert Houdin, and he is responsible for a huge shift in magic, uh, where before it was sort of an idea of convincing people that you had supernatural powers and they would dress up in these robes and try to be very self-important and try to make their audience believe that they had magic for various reasons. Um, I'll let you use your imagination on why someone would want a whole group of people to believe that they had magical powers. But Houdin, uh, he was not having that. He wanted a very different type of magic to be performed. And he is really responsible for how we um, today see magic shows and how um, how the magicians dressed. He really was very into the look of magic, which isn't surprising. And he has a very surprising origin story until you kind of really think about it. And then it makes perfect sense. He is one of my favorite magicians because he was also a mechanic. Um, he was very, not mechanic as in cars. He was way too early for that, although I bet he would have loved them. He was way more into how things worked. And he was born in 1805 to a clock or a watchmaker in France. Um, he was really set on following his father's footsteps. And unlike a lot of stories where you see the child who wants to rebel against his family, his father did not want him to be a watchmaker at all. He was very against this. And he wanted his son to become a lawyer. That did not work out so well. He did go off to law school and graduated, and he was apprenticed over to becoming a law clerk, where he was supposed to be spending his time writing out legal briefs and copying things. And he did not use his time that way. Um, he, I'm going to call him Robert for right now just because it's easier. There's a lot of names. So Robert was very um, into the mechanics of everything, and he loved to take everything apart. So he spent all of his time at the law offices just taking apart anything mechanical that was in the law office and putting it back together again and not doing his work. So that didn't last long. He was sent back to his father with a letter of sorts saying that his son would make a much better clockmaker than a lawyer. So by that time, his father had already retired and was no longer um, watchmaking. And he was apprenticed over to a cousin where he really kind of made his mark. Um, he is even credited for creating the mystery clock. That's not official, but it's kind of, that's the thing with magicians and researching magicians. There are so, so very many different takes on things. It can be a little hard to figure out exactly who was doing what. Now, he was really into whatever he was into. There was just no middle ground for him. And so he saved up months of his wages working as a watchmaker to buy this two-volume set of books called The Treaties on Clockmaking. And he, you could just imagine, like, saving up all this money and you're super excited because you're getting the one thing you're completely obsessed with. I think all of us are obsessed with something. All of us are a total nerd geek about something. And he was a nerd and a geek about clocks and watchmaking, and more specifically, the mechanism. So he saves up all this money. And he didn't actually look at what he bought 
before he left, he actually brought home everything in wrapping paper, unwraps it, and finds out that instead of a two-volume book on clockmaking, he got a two-volume book on magic and magic tricks. And the problem with it was, and he obsessed over it, he read them all the way through. But the book more explained how the trick was done and didn't quite explain how to do the trick. And he knew that he was going to have to learn this. He was never going to be able to rest until he learned this. And he did what a lot of people do when you want to learn a skill and you don't have a way to learn it. You go and find a teacher. You find someone who's actually working in that field and you offer to work for free or to do whatever you can to help or you offer to pay them. And that's what he did. Now, this is not made up. I promise you, I didn't make this up. This is one of those moments where reality is way cooler than fiction. He went to a magician in his town called Mouse, and they were from Blouse. So you have Mouse from Blouse, who was a kind of um, almost like a children's party magician. But keep in mind, we are still back in the 1800s. We are in the very early er eras of 1800s. And Mouse would perform these sleight of hand tricks. And um, if you don't know what sleight of hand is and your guardians are okay with you going on YouTube, please fall down that rabbit hole. It's really cool. Sleight of hand is where you convince someone to look one way and you're actually palming, which means you're holding on. Ah, I'm not going to explain how this trick is done. You go onto YouTube or onto Instagram or get some books out in the library on how to do this. And see if you can get obsessed with this. I get really into it. I even try to convince my physical therapist that all these magic tricks are actually helping my physical therapy. And Corey and I just laughed at that. Okay, so he goes and he tries to learn all these things from Mouse. And he does. He gets really good at this. And he decides he needs to kind of either move on or work in his watchmaking a little bit more steady. Now, this trick behind the not trick of magic is it requires complete dedication and obsessive levels of practicing. And that was something he was really good at. He realized that the only way he's going to get good is to keep doing the trick over and over and over again until the dexterity of his fingers, he could just do it without even thinking. So it's kind of like if you look at card magicians and honestly, go look up card magicians. It's really cool, but you'll never see them without a deck of cards in their hand. They are always shuffling. They are always moving the cards to their hands. Some of them will practice 10 to 12 hours a day. They just are always moving cards around. Same with um, anyone who's doing sleight of hand. They always have their thing in their hand. They're always moving and seeing if they can make it look more natural until you can't even see the point where they make something disappear. So for him, he did what a lot of people do is when they have a passion that's not making the money, they do a job that does make the money. So this whole time, he's still doing his job and he is working in watchmaking. And he's really cool about that. Um, he's even creating really innovative things in watchmaking shops. And he's really starting to work with automatons. And we're going to talk about automatons in a minute. Think early on robots. But he does meet a woman whose last name is Houdin, and he takes her name when they marry. And her father was a watchmaker. So he goes and he starts working in his father-in-law's watch shop. Here's where this is important. He moves to Paris. And there's a shop called the Rue Richelieu. And again, forgive my French. Um, he finds out that that place is all full of magicians. And he starts to get mentors and learning new tricks. During this time in his father-in-law's workshop, 
he starts making automatons. Remember the early onset robots. Um, this is way before electricity or batteries. This is all gears. And he would make these ballerinas that would walk on tight ropes. I'm actually doing this with my hands. I don't know why you're not able to see me. And he also made, and if you've seen the movie Hugo, you've seen exactly what I'm going to talk about. He made an automaton that was able to write and draw. And that was even later sold to P.T. Barnum. So that's a pretty cool little tie in there. So you can imagine, like, with his love of automatons, he was able to make really cool props for his magic tricks. And he actually ended up making an entire living selling those tricks. If you've ever seen The Illusionist, you've seen this one trick where you plant a seed in front of the audience and it grows up into a small tree. And then the small tree opens up with a flower. And then that flower becomes an orange. And then you throw the orange out into the audience for them to open that up. That was his trick. It's really cool to watch because it doesn't just end there. It also has a thing where you open up the orange and there's these clockwork butterflies that come out. Like, it justifies, like, even now with how we see everything in movies, if I saw that in real life, I would be awestruck and amazed. That's incredible. Now, he didn't want his world of magic to be seen as just something that is done at fairs and parties and just as one trick and done, another trick done. He wanted an actual story. So he had the first tricks that were really one trick builds on top of another trick builds on top of another trick for an entire show that has a real story. And that's beautiful. And you'll see that a lot now when you're looking at other magicians. It's really Okay, I realize I'm running really short on time, so I'm just going to kind of give you a little overview because this is what I think is really important is that he did do his first magic trick, uh, not magic trick, magic, magic show. So sorry, everyone. And it cost him a lot of money and the stakes were really high. And his first show was an absolute disaster, a complete did not work out, and he was ready to quit and just go back to watchmaking and automaton building, which would have been still pretty cool, but it wasn't what he felt he was meant to do. So he goes and talks to a friend and says, I just, I messed up everything. It's all awful, and I feel horrible. And his friend said, yeah, you're right. That was stupid. What were you doing? What were you thinking? And his friend's lack of support really was the kick in the tail that he needed. And because his friend really just kind of stomped on him, he thought, well, I... I'm going to do better. And he did. He, um, spoiler alert, he really did. He went on to become the look of magic. He decided that he was going to dress like his patrons. So he took magic tricks from being something that was just sort of done on fair days and festivals or at parties, and he made it a high-level entertainment. So when you're seeing Penn and Teller or even like, oh, I'm blanking, but like, you know, David Blaine, any of the famous magicians today – and you're like, wow, this is a really cool show. They wouldn't be there without Houdin. And if that last name sounds familiar, it should, because Houdini took on that name Houdin because he had so much respect for the magician. All right, everyone, I'm sorry I'm way over time. So uh, tune in next week. I'll have a new magician from history to talk about. And please go to the show notes. There was so much more that I could not fit in about Houdin. I've been doing so much research for this book I'm writing. And um, yeah, just go over to owlentwine.com. The, the website has moved over from my other podcast, Invisible Not Broken, to its own little world at owlentwine.com. You may have noticed we don't advertise. Um, I really just don't have the energy. So 
I am amazed and grateful that we have so many listeners from so many countries now. I am really grateful because that's all on you. You guys were all awesome and amazing. And there's something that you really enjoy about this podcast because you guys are sharing it. So that's the nicest thing you can do. If you really enjoy the podcast, um, please share it with um, your Facebook groups. If you're in homeschooling, please share it out to your groups. If you're in school, share it with your teachers. Um, just go ahead and share it. And if you want to do something really extra nice, you can go on to Apple Podcasts and you can give us some stars, um, say nice things about the podcast. And I think that's about it. Thank you so much. Have a great week, everyone. And if you do go over to Alan Twine, please sign up for our newsletter. It only goes out once a month and it's just kind of full of some of the things that I am doing for the writing. So you'll see Blackwater Manor, which is a new role playing game that you can jump in for free on. And um, yeah, that's all. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you so much.